0: Oh, everyone, let's worship him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I love you, Master. Praise God. Amen. How many loves him tonight? Praise God. I um, feel to teach something tonight that I believe is key to much of our relationship with God, certainly the key to us receiving anything from the Lord, no matter what it is, our prayers being answered and getting through. I don't want to just pray in vain. I don't know about you. I do enjoy praying, but part of that is because I know that I've got a God that hears. Amen. I don't enjoy talking to anybody and knowing that they're not listening matter of fact if i detect when talking to somebody that they're not listening i i move on hey, amen in fact somebody on the phone i detect that they got a better conversation going on somewhere else i'm pretty quick to say hey i'll catch you when you're not busy praise the god have you ever known anybody that, i mean they got four or five conversations They're talking to the McDonald's people when they're ordering their hamburger and trying to talk to you, too. You said, what I said had nothing to do with the Diet Dr. Pepper or Big Mac. Diet Dr. Pepper and Big Mac hardly go together besides in America. Praise the Lord. But anyway, uh, I want to know that the Lord is hearing my prayers when I pray them. And I'm going to uncover a key here tonight. I believe, to a lot of that, and it's simple, it's simplistic, it's not something we haven't heard before, but it's something that we don't find um, in in just in practicum and and putting into application a lot of times. So if you have your Bibles, I invite your attention to Daniel, the third chapter, Daniel chapter number three and verse twenty-three. I want to cut into a story here that uh, we don't have time to read the entirety of. This is talking about the three Hebrew children. Most of us, I think, have heard this story, have told it ourselves, and could probably retell it here tonight on cue. There's a few things that we probably don't recognize in the story that I want to bring out here this evening Nebuchadnezzar has set up an image that he is requiring the people to bow down to when music is played. You know the story of how these three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, have refused to worship, knowing that worship only belongs to Jehovah God, their God, the God of Israel. And so this infuriates the king. He gives them another opportunity. He tells them, "We're going to turn the fiery furnace up seven times hotter than what it is. Everybody that doesn't bow is going to be thrown into that fiery per- furnace." And we know that these three Hebrews, though they had received this strong admonition to bow, they refused knowing that it's better to obey God rather than man. And so the result was, is that they were thrown into the furnace. Picking up in verse 23, And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake. And said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said unto the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men. And notice the wording, Lewis. He said, We threw them in bound, but the only thing that's been burnt is the things that bound them. Praise the Lord. Walking in the midst of the fire, And they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace, and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire, and the princes and the governors... And captains and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was the hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed. I want you to notice this last statement. Nor the smell of fire had passed on them. The result was... Is that they saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor, beyond just being hurt or wounded, or burnt by the fire, whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was the hair of their head singed. It would have been all right, I guess, to have been saved from the fire and had little singed hair. I mean that hasn't hurt anybody, but not even this happened. Neither were their coats changed, their clothing was not affected. And upon closer examination, and he got close to them and speaking to them and those that were with him, and they detected that there was no smell of fire or smoke that had passed upon them. Uh, The different versions of the Bible, New King James says the smell of fire was not on them. And then other versions says that they were without the smell of smoke. And that's simply what I want to speak about for the next few moments, if you'd allow me to, and if the Lord will help us without the smell of smoke, without the smell of smoke. Let's lift up our hands and our voices once again to the Lord, and let's pray together right now that God would continue to anoint his word here tonight and bless in the continuation of this service. We certainly need the help the unction of the Holy Ghost. Would you pray? Jesus, uh, we need you tonight. We need the strength, the touch of your spirit, the anointing of your power and glory. We're asking you to move and to have your way in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you clap your hands to the Lord and give him thanks? the smell of smoke. You may be seated. Recently, I was reading a very interesting story about a man that was raised in the country. He would often be heard making this statement, even though he had moved away from the country. He said, I was country born, country bred, and when I die, I'll be country dead, And so eventually he went off, sought higher education, and uh, made a great deal of money as an entrepreneur, became very wealthy and successful as a businessman, and later on in life he decided to go back and purchase his home place and move back in to the house that was built originally by his father and uh, had a lot of sentimental value to him house had been moved out of for many years nobody had lived in it it was just an old house that was crudely built his dad was not a real skilled carpenter but had done the best that he possibly could in the building and the construction of this home and uh, so he moved out uh, to where this was and and uh, he hired artists to come in and and do the designs of the interior he he had uh, certain builders come in and repair and construct and people come in and clean the debris from the yard and mow the lawn and pull the weeds and get it all fixed up paint the outside of the house but he remembered in all of this restoration process that there was an old well that was behind the house in the backyard and this old well Uh, It was something that he used to go to as a kid and drink from. And uh, it was kind of a nostalgic thing with him. He remembered it well. And uh, maybe like David of old, he longed to get a drink. He'd been drinking city water for years, and he wanted to go back and draw from that old well. Maybe it'd take him back to his childhood. So he had a group of excavators come in, and they were to dig or redig this well, to clean it out, it had been filled with rubble and debris and fallen in, and so they began to dig, and he went back to the city, to his business, and was there for the week and come back in on the weekend, and uh, he saw that they had a big pile of debris there, and they said, we, we think we've got the well cleaned out, we're down where the water's flowing again. And He looked over at the pile. He didn't even go over to the well. He walked over to the pile of debris, and he said, uh, "He said you haven't reached the bottom yet. He said, I want you to keep digging. And walked away. They kind of looked at one another like, what does he know about well digging? I thought that's why he got us here. But uh, they continued to dig, and he came back a second time, and there was a bigger pile heap of rubble. Debris that came from within the well, and he examined it. He said, "You still have not reached the bottom." He said, "You need to keep digging." And so they kind of rolled their eyes and said that they would, and they continued to dig throughout the next week or so, or a few days. And he he came back, and they said, "Now we've reached rock bottom to this well. There's no further digging to be done. We're." We've got it cleaned out. This is as far as you can go. It's flowing good. Still, he didn't walk over to the well. He walked over to the pile of debris. And there lying somewhere towards the top of it was a tea kettle. He lifted that old tea kettle that was now corroded and filled with mud, held it up, and nodded to them in agreement that they had, in fact, reached the bottom of the well. And uh, they said, Sir how did you know that we've reached the bottom, said you you never did go over and examine the well itself, all you did was go over to this pile of trash and pile of rubble and debris and examine it, you never did go look in the well, listen to the water flowing in the well, never did drop a pebble down in the well to see if it splashed and how deep it was or any of that, you never measured he never did anything, and he began to tell them the story that when his father had dug that well originally, many decades before, he finally came in one evening and announced to the family that the well was dug and that it was filling with water. It wouldn't be long till they would be able to refresh themselves from this well, be able to use the water from this well. And in his mischief, he got in the cabinet, he said, and got one of his mother's tea kettles and walked out back unbeknownst to his parents and just to hear it clang and bang down through the well and splash when it reached the water below he sent that tea kettle that teapot over into that well he said he got quite a scolding from his mother and she was upset with him, his dad uh, punished him for it but for many years he knew that that was in the bottom of that well because he had placed it there. He said, I knew this simple fact since the teapot was the first thing to fall into the well it would be the last thing to come out. And maybe, maybe there's times in our walk with God in our relationship with the Lord that we we dig we dig things out, we repent of things, we try to make restitution in some areas for some things. And we do our level best many times to get to the bottom of things. How many has ever wanted to get to the bottom of a matter? Especially in your relationship with God. I mean, whatever it is that's that's hindering me in my relationship with the Lord, I don't want to go on being hindered. Whatever it is that is stopping the process. I don't want to go on not being blessed of God. I want His blessing. I want His favor. I know one of the most important things for us individually and then for us collectively as a church is the blessing and the favor of God upon our lives. Praise the Lord. It's not enough just to uh, have a, a Sunday relationship with God and just uh, every once in a while dip into the presence of the Lord and feel the touch of God, but I want to walk in His favor every day of my life, and uh, I've often wondered, knowing human nature, if that teapot, so to speak, isn't the last thing, that teapot of unforgiveness isn't the last thing to come out of our heart or out of our well. Because the Bible does say that our heart flows all the deep issues of life. Amen? In our heart is the seed of all of our emotions and everything, in whom we are. There was a lady that was praying in an altar, and she was weeping, and uh, others were praying at the end of a church service, and the pastor, knowing her situation, knowing that her husband had just left her days before, left her and her two children, and without explanation, it went out, and she didn't know where he was and had been gone for several days. The pastor knelt down beside her, identifying with her anguish. He said, I know you're hurting, but he said, you must forgive him. Suddenly, almost startled, she looked up, stopped her, her crying, and she said this. She said, Pastor, I can't do that. I'm sorry, I just can't do that. And uh, she continued to pray, and he went on praying with other people in the altar. He walked off and left her there, and finally after praying for several other folks, he came over to where she was again, and he said, as she was still weeping and praying, he said, you must forgive him. That's all he said. And she looked up for where she was, and she said, Pastor, I won't do that. I won't forgive him. This time the pastor looked at her and he said, this time you've answered right. He said, you made the statement, I won't, and that means I will not. It's not that you can't, like you said before. It's that you will, will not or you won't forgive him. And you've deliberately chosen you've made a choice not to forgive and if you choose not to forgive him you've also chosen for God not to be able to forgive you Jesus said in his word and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors as we meaning that all along the way in my Christian walk. Believe me, the longer you live, the more opportunity you're going to get. You're going to have to continue to forgive. Forgiveness is not a one-time deal. You say, well, I've forgiven everybody. I'm all clear with everybody. Because offenses, the Scripture says, will come. Not they may come, but it says that they will come to your life. And they're going to come often. And they're going to come on down the way and they're going to come at different periods of your life and they're going to come at different stages of your life and just because early on you were or had the ability to forgive and you were able to forgive does not mean that at this particular juncture of your life you're still operating with a attitude and spirit of forgiveness he said as we or as we walk with god And as these offenses come, and as we acquire debtors in our life, people become indebted to us, not necessarily because they owe us money, that's just a figure of speech, but because they have done something that would cause offense to come into our life. The only way that I can continue to have God's forgiveness, which I equally need, As much as anybody needs forgiveness from me, I so much the more need God's forgiveness in my life. Can you say amen to that? Do we have any perfect folks here tonight? I believe that everybody in this house lives for God on a daily basis. And I'm going to say something that's going to startle some of you. But we have to repent daily. I said we have to die as Paul. If Paul had to do it, then you and I have to do it. We have to repent every day and say God I want to be clear because there's so many levels that we have to be clear on so many areas of our life that we got to continue uh, to walk in God's grace in and we have to make sure that the blood covers amen that's why we may not be able to cover it all in detail but we many times when I'm praying I say God I want you to forgive me of any thoughts that I have thought that might not be Pure in your sight, and I'm not just talking about thoughts in the way of youthful lust and that kind of thing. I'm talking about thoughts of anger, thoughts that uh, rise emotion in us. Thought, come on now, thoughts about that person that uh, cuts you off in traffic. Come on, I'm gonna get where you've been thinking. thoughts that you had towards your husband and your wife because they didn't do something that you asked them to do. Because you probably didn't do something they wanted you to do. Amen. Glad you're here for Marriage Counseling 101. (laughs) And so I, I have to keep asking God to forgive me. I have to keep asking him to forgive me of any impure motives. I want him to forgive me of any impure speech. Come on. Not that I've had a cussing fit because I don't talk like that. But the Bible said that every word is going to be called into account. Every idle word. That means that it's just as wrong for me to speak unadvisedly about situations. Come on now, let me talk about this Pentecostal grapevine that gets you in trouble and can really hang you up in your prayer life and your relationship with God. We used to call it Pentecostal grapevine. It's got a new name nowadays. We call it Facebook. Amen. People can sure enough keep track of one another and more people's got in trouble and had problems and difficulties. Come on now. Being connected and talking about and getting their juicy gossip and all that good stuff, if that's the only motivation for being on that, I'd advise you to get off of it. Now, there may be some good, I'm yet to find it, but there may be some good reasons why to be on that. I know they got games and all that kind of stuff that is on that, But I'm just telling you something. You better behave on that thing. That's going going to create a real issue for you in life. So well, I don't much like that. Well, I don't much care. Praise God. (laughs) Because it's caused me more problems than I know what to do with. I said, it's caused me more troubles than anything else that I know of. Well, I found this out, Pastor, on Facebook my God FaceTime, Facebook why don't somebody get their face in the book praise the Lord and find out how God feels about it and so we constantly you're going to be held in account for stuff you put on there amen and if you're involved in things you shouldn't be involved in on there you're going to be held account for it come on now it isn't just words you speak out of your mouth. It's words you type on those keyboards. Come on. And I'm going to tell you what. We used to say that there's men more six-inch tongues kill six-foot men than anything else in the world. But I'm telling you, they can kill a lot of people on these forums and things when they don't even know what they're talking about. And I don't have any particular case in mind. But I know, I know churches and preachers and pastors that have been uh, judged, tried, And sentenced on the internet. And that's not fair. That's not right. It's not right for any one of us. Can you say, Praise the Lord? Now, in case you've fallen out with me, I'm going to try to get you back on the bandwagon here. But we need God's forgiveness. We need it every day that we live. I need to walk in His forgiveness. I need to cry out for His forgiveness. I need to seek His forgiveness. I'm gonna tell you something else that's happened with the advent of the internet and all the social networking and all of that is people they can't pay attention anymore. I mean they got five minute attention span if that much. They can't sit and listen to a Bible message. They gotta check Instagram, they gotta check Facebook, they gotta see about their emails, they gotta check this over here, and they gotta check that over there, because we got everything right here on this smartphone. I'm gonna tell you what you need to do when you come to the house of God, you need to turn that thing off. And give that time to God, totally, one hundred percent. Give it to God, because God is a God that is jealous of our time and our energies, and our affections. Can you say praise the Lord? But but as much as I need God's forgiveness and all of these things, and I and I, I speak in generalities. God, thoughts and words spoken and, and actions taken. God, I need. To make sure. There's nothing that we need to make any more sure. The Bible said make your calling and election sure. Nothing that I need to be more sure about than my salvation. And so I want to be very careful when I handle the things that pertain to my soul. And so your forgiveness and mine is contingent on our ability to forgive others. And when this preacher said this, this pastor said this to this lady enlightenment gradually dawned on her countenance she looked up at him she understood that her unforgiveness was that tea kettle down there that she hadn't dug up yet and hadn't been willing to lay on the altar yet you may have dug past a lot of things your pride your self-pity self-justification oh you don't know what they've done to me and that kind of thing but you you got to get on beyond all of that and get down to the root of the matter. Amen. The Bible said that John the Baptist put the axe to the root of the tree. That's what so infuriated Heron because he didn't mince words. He didn't say, hey, man, I, I'm going to smile on you because of who you are and the position that you hold. No, he said you're, you're with your brother's wife, and it's not lawful for you to be in that situation he got down to the root of the matter he said i'm not here just to make you feel good i i know that you came out here royalty to hear me preach but i didn't i'm not preaching just for you to make make you feel good and give you a goose bump i i want you to find what it is to to really repent and get right with god that's why i'm preaching and i've often wondered how many prayers have been hindered by the spirit of unforgiveness how many prayers have been hindered because of marital strife? Oh, yeah, it's quiet. You think, well, there's nothing to do with that. Nothing, my relationship with God does not have anything to do with my relationship with my spouse. Oh, ho, ho, don't kid yourself. You need to have a right relationship with your husband or your wife. Come on now. Fuss and fight. Carry on and bicker and lift your voice and ridicule and call one another names and then come to church, paste that smile on and sing the songs and leap for joy and smile. Come on. Go around and bless everybody. Just got through blessing your wife out, but you come around everybody else and you're blessing them. Good to see you, brother. Walk back to the pew, smile real big at your wife for everybody else to see. And she's thinking, you, you sorry, devil. Are you lying, devil? And see, she has to repent for thinking that. Forgiveness, can I say it this way, is often the final frontier that is fought before freedom comes into an individual's life. And can I say that there is a tremendous release of power and anointing. And how many wants power with God? How many wants the anointing of the Holy Ghost? There's a tremendous anointing that comes through forgiveness. When Jesus said, hanging on that cross, blood and water running out of His side where He's been pierced with a spear, nails in His hands and feet, crown of thorns that's been plaited, placed upon his head. And he looked down at those people that were mocking and ridiculing and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the scripture tells us that there were three worlds that came to attention at that very moment. The Bible says the sun and the moon hung their heads and refused to shine. It says the earth shook with a great earthquake. And it also said that there was a many resurrection that took place of saints that went back to the city as a testimony when he said, Father, forgive them. Three worlds were affected, the heavens which are above, the earth, and the things which were beneath. If things are to be right between us and our heavenly Father, we must forgive. If things is to be right with us amen on the level with people that are around us and if we're going to overcome things on earth we must forgive and if we expect to have power over the enemy beneath we must forgive nothing neutralizes nothing nothing brings down the power and the authority of the devil like forgiveness not shouting and we believe in shouting around here come on not not singing we believe in singing it's not our work for god and we believe in working for god it's not tongue talking we certainly believe in tongue talking it's not a separation from the world and we certainly believe in the need of separation all of these things are necessary and have their place and they are a part of our walk with god but nothing takes the place of forgiveness can you say praise the Lord it neutralizes the enemy there was a there was a missionary in the remote parts of, of Mexico in a very remote area and uh, he was working in this area and they brought a lady that was demented from an even remote, more remote area and this lady did not speak English, she did not speak Spanish the only dialect that she knew or was familiar with was from her area or location there in her native village and when she drew close to this man there was instant recognition on her countenance that this was a man of God and she said in perfect English she had never spoken English before she said in perfect English this demonic spirit speaking through her said do not teach the people forgiveness do not teach the people forgiveness could it be that of all the things that Satan fears, all the things that he knows could bring his kingdom down, he fears the spirit of forgiveness most. I was familiar with a missionary in Africa, and he said, we don't teach our people. We don't teach them about revival. We don't teach them about a lot of the things you teach them in America. He's the only thing we teach is unity, unity, unity. And revival is a byproduct of it. Because there's one thing that will shut down revival quicker than anything else, and that's a spirit of disunity in the body of Christ. And I can't speak for you, but I would not want for the life of me to have the blood of one soul upon my hands because I held aught in my heart or I had something against a brother or sister in the Lord. I wouldn't want the blood of one person to be upon my hands because of that. Come on now. And again, Jesus said, Matthew six fourteen and 15, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Again, I have to forgive in order to receive forgiveness. What did he say on the Sermon on the Mount? He said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain what? You get as much as you're willing to give. Blessed are, I'd rather err on the side of mercy than on the side of judgment because I know whatever I dish out, that's what I'm going to receive. I've observed through the years that folks that cannot forgive others usually have a hard time believing God can forgive them of their sins and forgiving themselves. Usually it's a symptom of that, that they cannot forgive themselves or believe that God could forgive them Let's get a little bit more practical. What does it mean when we say, I forgive? What does it really mean? What am I saying when I say, I forgive? One writer said it this way. When you say, I forgive you, you're saying, I will not discuss this matter again between us. You can't go on down the road and say, you know, you remember when you did that to me? You remember that? Yeah, I forgive you, but you know, that really hurt me when you did that. But I forgive you. And I've let it go. Man, let me tell you, let me describe to you my feelings when you you did that to me. That's not forgiving. Or when you say, I forgive, you're saying, I will not discuss this matter with a third party. I'm not going to go around to another brother or sister and say, you know what, I forgive them, I love them, bless their heart. I really do love them, but man, they did this, that, and the other to me back there, and I have never been able to let go of it. Come on, preacher. Why don't you put us on the chandeliers tonight? Why don't you put us on the ceiling? I'm going to tell you, none of that does any good. If you can't do it, I'm preaching about right tonight. None of it does any good. We're getting down to the heart of the matter. Come on. Come on. Maybe this is why your prayers are powerless. Maybe this is why you can't seem to get it together. Maybe this is why the blessings of God have been abated in your life. This is why you, your wheels are spinning spiritually. And then, here, here's the hard one. When you say, I forgive, thirdly, you're saying, I will not mull this matter over in my mind and Let my thoughts dwell on it. Think about all the ways that I'd like to seek revenge. I'd like them to have to go through this or have to feel this or have to experience that. Amen. Like I heard one old preacher say one time, he said to somebody that he said, if you offended me like that brother offended me, he said, I'd forgive you, but he said, I'd make you sit on the altar in my church for one year. He said, I'd make you sit there and like you was bearing your chains, your burden. And he said, and then you'd think twice before you did it again. That's not forgiveness. And he said that in jest. He didn't mean it. Forgiveness is not easy. It exacts a price. It'll cost you to forgive. It'll cost you the carnal prize of being able to maybe even keep your ego and your pride intact. It'll cost you your rights. It'll cost you revenge. It's not easy to be silent when you'd like to defend yourself loudly. Come on. Well, you don't know. Let me tell you the rest of the story. Come on. The Bible says that when Jesus stood accused before Herod that he answered him not a word. Jesus' disciples were confused because at His word, He had the ability to make a fig tree wither and die. At His word, He was able to raise the 12-year-old daughter of Jairus from the dead. At His word, a man's withered hand was restored. At His word, stormy seas were peaceful and calm and smooth as glass, simply at his word. Yet he stood before Pilate, Herod, and the Sanhedrin in utter weakness, not defending himself. And the writer says it this way, like a lamb dumb before his shears, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Forgiveness, forgiveness has the power to overcome. It has the power to overcome fear, it has the power to overcome wounds of the past. It has the power to overcome any affliction of the enemy. It has the power to overcome doubt and unbelief simply by forgiving. Hebrews the 12th chapter one of my favorite passages of scripture on many levels because it says wherefore seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses isn't that amazing uh, it's like the Christian race or walk or whatever you want to call it, it is like, it's like like a race track where there's grandstands all around and those that have went on before us are in the stands observing us in the race and cheering us on we're compassed about if you've got mothers and fathers and grandparents that have went on to be with the Lord. I don't know how it works, but in this scripture it says we're compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. Amen. We have their testimony to look towards. We have their testimony, amen, to help and to encourage us. Perhaps that's what it means, that we have their example to look to, to keep on running, to encourage us when we get weary. But it said, let us Lay aside every way in the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking, this is how you do it, looking not to your troubles, your problems, your difficulties. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Despising the shame. And is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest we, ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Notice the passage that says, lay aside every weight. And notice it says that the weights could be multiple. It said, let us lay aside every weight every one of them, whatever it is, let us lay aside. And the singular, the sin, the sin which so easily besets us. Have you ever wondered what that besetting sin could have been that he's writing about here? you ever wondered what is the sin? that Paul or the writer, I think it's Paul. There's been a lot of supposition on who the writer of Hebrews is. It's not definitely Paul. But who, who is the writer talking about here when he says the sin? What sin is he talking about? And I've pondered this and thought about that passage of Scripture. I do know, I feel like I can identify what is Pentecost's most besetting sin. And that is the spirit of offense. Offenses will come. Amen. Seem like people can get in the race, they can run, they can do well. They could start out living for God, full of the Holy Ghost, excited about serving God, nothing else matters but the things of God, coming to church, living for God. That's tell some old crusty somebody gets a hold of them and fills them in on all the junk. He said, you've got to watch this one over here. You better not get connected to this one over here. Come on. Strips them of every bit of their innocency and uh, maybe maybe they get where they're not praying nearly about as often as they were the newness kind of has wore down and they're not full of the Holy Ghost and maybe the preacher preaches something they get offended maybe the preacher has to correct their child they get offended maybe the they didn't get their be the soloist or the singer on the song or maybe they didn't get put into the position in the church that they wanted to or maybe they got asked to sit down from the position in the church and that spirit of offense comes I remember hearing a story many many years ago about a uh, young boy that had been raised up in the church and he, he had a grandfather that had been a part of the church, their church in this country town for many years and and then had dropped off and backslidden over a big church scuffle that had went on. And so the grandson grew up in the church, finally got to the age he was going to preach his first sermon, and there was nothing he wanted more. He knew his grandfather had never been to church. He knew something about some trouble that caused him to quit church, and so he went to his grandfather. He said, I've never asked you to come. I've never asked you to visit, but I'm going to be preaching this Wednesday, and I want you to come to church to hear me preach my first sermon. His grandfather looked at him and said, son, I would do you any kind of favor that you asked me to do besides that. I'm sorry I, I can't go to church with you. He said, well, grandfather, we've never, we've never discussed what it was that caused you to, to backslide or fall away from God. What was it? He said, "Well, the church had decided to to buy a new piano." And he said, "We had a piano, and it was fine." He said, "But the pastor he wanted to buy a new one and upgrade." And he said, "There was half that were for it, and there was half that were against spending the money for a piano." That seems laughable to us today. And uh, anyway got a great consternation stirred up and there was a big debate over it and he said I got so upset that I quit going to church over a piano he said well grandfather he said let me ask you another question he said what side of the debate were you on was you for against he said you know son it's been so many years ago I can't remember I can't remember something that he couldn't even put his finger on but he just knew the offense had came to his heart. He didn't even know why. He was still holding on to it. He couldn't even describe the reasons for it, but he was still holding on to it. Amen? I don't want to be be beset in this race. I want to keep running. I want to get rid of every hindrance, every restriction, everything that would hold me back. I want to let go of it. I want to forgive it. I want to Come on now. Your salvation, the salvation of your household could be contingent on what I'm preaching about tonight. Let it go. Bury it in the blood of Jesus. Release it. No preacher told me one time said you got to know what to hold on to and what to let go of. That's the key to the ministry. Said there's some things you better let it flow like water off a duck's back. You better not let it get in your spirit. You better not hold on to it. And then there's some things you better not ever let go of. You gotta hold on to this message. You gotta hold on to the truth. You, gotta, you can't compromise any of that. But when offenses come, you gotta let them go. You gotta let them go. You can't take them into your heart. You can't take them into your spirit. You can't let them develop and fester and become something that they should not be it'll first of all hinder your prayer life and then it'll eventually hinder your walk with God entirely I like Italian food I mean likes Italian food I've used this example before but let me use it again I mean, likes Italian food that's almost everybody I mean there's some form of Italian food you like spaghetti pizza I know just about everybody here you can't hardly be Pentecost you can't hardly have the Holy Ghost and not like pizza you can't hardly go to Landmark and not like pizza again. Narrow it on down tonight. I like it. I like Italian food. I like spaghetti. I like pizza, minus the anchovies. I like about everything on my pizza. I don't really much like onions. I usually try to tell them to hold them. Nevertheless, somebody's going to sneak that in there. You get one of them Supremes, they got it on there. And uh, I like lasagna, good lasagna. Sister Paula makes some pretty good lasagna. I don't know if I've offended her or what. She don't make it for me no more. Talking about that spirit of offense, let's get this taken care of tonight, sister. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, there used to be some sisters around here. That would, I'm going to be like that one evangelist who said, you know, they brought him a pie, and he got up and bragged about that pie for about five minutes, and he said, you know, the only thing that would be better than that chocolate pie is a coconut cream pie. He said the next night they were lined up down the kitchen counter with his name on it. Used to be some sisters around here, and there's still a few that cook for me every once in a while. Hey, Amen. I didn't get in this shape on my own. I'm going to tell you, I don't know what happened. I didn't tell you to quit, I'll promise you that. I like lasagna. And I I don't know, it's got to have a little garlic in it, I suppose, to be any good. But long after the taste of sausage, Italian sausage is gone, and the sauce is gone, if that ragu has already left my taste buds, whatever it is. After the pasta, the taste of it is gone. I can still get a whiff, get a taste of that old garlic. It's still the only thing that lingers. You know, there's some experiences we go through in life. If we're not careful, there's something that'll linger. Something that'll hold on. You have an experience, you have a situation. If you're not careful, to leave a bad taste in your mouth. You'll hold on to that. Anybody gets around you, they can sense it. They can feel it. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You can read between the lines here tonight. The Bible says that these three Hebrew boys were told they were commanded to bow and they didn't do so. And then they were brought in and charged to do it and they said, we're not going to bow to your idol. You may throw us in the fiery furnace and God has the ability and the power to forgive us and even if he doesn't, we're still not going to compromise and bow to your idol. And they didn't Infuriated the king so much that he heated the furnace up seven times hotter than what it was and cast them bound down into it and I don't know where he was maybe from a high position he was able to look down into that and he saw that there was not just the three Hebrews that he had thrown in but there were four men walking loose free in the fire and one was likened to the son of God and after they drew them out he carefully observed that they didn't have one Infliction or burn upon them their hair was not singed their clothes was not changed and then when he got closer and he took a whiff the smell of smoke was not even on their garment they had went through this trial they had went through this experience they had went through this situation and nothing lingered on them as evidence they'd ever been through it I'm going to tell you that is only through the help of God that that can happen I said that's only through the help of God that that can happen. Oh, when you go through things in life and come out the other side, you need to come out better as these young men did. They went in bound, but they came out loose. Loose. There was no evidence. They, they weren't whining about any burns. They weren't talking about any, any experience that they had. They only had glory and praise and thanksgiving to give to their God that had delivered them from it. I'm telling you, we can live for God in such a way. Keep our spirits so pure that we can walk through the fiery trials of this old world and we come out with not even the smell of that experience upon our life. I said, we can come out with a testimony that God not only kept me, but there's no evidence that I've ever went through it. Amen, I'm a better person. I'm not just what, what I was. I'm even a better person because I went through the things that I went through. Oh, would you stand with me right now let's lift our hands to the Lord. Let's give Him praise. Come on, let's give Him thanksgiving from my heart. hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I worship you, Lord. I magnify your name. Help us, God. Help us, God. Help us, God. Hallelujah. 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 Help me to be willing. Not that I can't. It's matter of willingness. it mean, would always be willing to forgive. It works in a marriage. It works in your relationship with people in the church. It works on the job. Come on, some of y'all need to try it. The Bible said, A soft answer turneth away wrath. Know what the Bible says? It's not all about my rights and me getting even with them or me giving them a piece of my mind. It's not all about that. It's about me being a Christian, walking with God, having the right character, being the right kind of person, amen? That's what's going to witness this world more than what you say and how many tracks you pass out. Come on, it's not enough that you carry your Bible in your arm. It's that it emanates from your heart, the words that are on those pages, amen? It emanates in your conversation when you talk to somebody. They can feel the love of God. They can feel, they can feel there's something different about you. Your response when the when the boss, come on now, when the boss gets on your back. And your response is different than everybody else. Everybody else is cussing under their breath. Come on, don't sit there sanctified like you are standing there sanctified, like you don't know what I'm talking about. You know they do it. What do you think about it? Praise the Lord. They're not going to think you're a religious zealot. They might think you're a little different than the rest of the bunch down there. What is that church you go to? That's the greatest form of evangelism that there is. Is that people do what they say they're going to do. They let their yea be yea and their nay be nay. They walk with God, they pay their bills. They obey the laws of the land. You know, the only thing I think God may be a little gracious on is them speed limits. I'm hoping. Praise the Lord. Father, forgive me, for I do know what I do. God bless you tonight. Let's ponder these things, and and more than that, let's let's apply these things to our hearts. Would you do that? How many will help me? I'm going to be a forgiver. Come on, wave your hand to the Lord and say, God, I'm going to be a forgiver. Hallelujah, I'm going to be a forgiver. God bless you tonight. Thank you for your attention. Good to see Sister Stout able to be back with us in the house.